0: We have been on this, uh, now some of you, I know travel, I know um, holidays have kind of, uh, holidays and summer and all that have been distracting, but the last two virtuals that we did last month, the month of June, we had two uh virtuals we had uh we talked about supernatural love this one another thing that that the bible gives us don't forget let's rem- let's remind uh, uh remind you of a couple of points from that teaching there are over 100 instances in the new testament alone where the word one another each other is given and in those over 100 times 59 mhm 59 that was not a slip. 59 times the word one another or each other is given to the church as a command. These were not suggestions. These were not a suggestion box that people at the end of their gatherings would slip in a box and say, here, I think we should try this. It's 59 times the word One another or each other is used in a command form. And I'll give you a couple here. I didn't get a chance to do this, and I'll just take a moment here because I really want to get to the bulk of what I what the Lord has for us today. But, like, love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, build one another up, accept one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. How about this one? Forgive one another. Mmm, hallelujah. Be patient with one another. Again, there's scriptures to all of these. I'm not making these up. These are not just suggestions. Oh, if you feel like it, forgive one another. No, it's a command. Forgive one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate one to another. Submit to one another. Consider others before yourself. Look to the interests of others. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Wow pray for one another. That's a good one. All those and there's 59 of those in scripture in the New Testament directly related to the church. So when we talk about this to God, this connection we have with one another as his church, he takes very seriously. And in fact, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, the power of the New Testament church came in their revelation of one another. They were not individuals on a journey, they were a group. For example, I'll, I'll sidetrack here for a moment. Individual Bible study. Now, most of you today, you have a smartphone, right? You have a Bible. I had my Bible here. I switched uh, positions here, so my Bible was left up, up at the uh, my other location. So I don't have it here. But we, you have, most of us have either a, a Bible. Most of us probably read our Bible either on some kind of device, our phone, uh, some kind of um, uh um uh ipad or or tablet and that's how we use it or you might you might still be i i bought an old school bible recently because i just kind of wanted the feel of just the old pages in my hand as i read so uh just uh I, i bought a i bought a bible off amazon so there is multiple ways you can get the word of god but most of us spend a lot of our time reading the word of god by ourselves now there's some merit to that there's some positive parts to that however there's some danger because in the New Testament church, there was no such thing as individual Bible studies. And part of that, we can see, was just simply logistics because the Word of God was not that easily accessible. That most places only had uh, access to maybe one or two or three or four scrolls, if if not, they didn't have, they didn't usually have access to everything. Now, if you're a Gentile and you're going to a synagogue, you had more access to more scrolls, but those scrolls stayed in the synagogue. You didn't get to take them home. They didn't pass them out. Oh, I want to take home the book of Jeremiah. Well, I'm taking home the book of Isaiah. And you're going to go through back home and open up the book of Isaiah, or unscroll the book of Isaiah and read through it. It all happened within the context of community. Now, the positive part about this is this. When you work together and you read and study the Word of God together, it brings a beautiful picture of interpretation. Because we all interpret Scripture through the lens of our own experiences, our own culture, our own background. One of the hardest things to do is come to the Word of God with virgin eyes and a non-biased spin. Most of us, when we go to the Word of God, we come from the lens of our past experiences. We come from the lens of whatever religion we grew up with. We come from the lens of whatever culture we exposed to. Um, I'll give you a good one. Americans interpret the Word of God differently than those in Africa. Those in Africa different interpret the Word of God differently than the, those in Asia. You can go through and you can see certain areas of how they interpret different things. We Americans, I've said this before, we Americans tend to interpret the word of God in the context of the American dream. Because we believe that God is wanting us to have the American dream. So when we read scriptures... We like to spin them that our life is going to get better and we're going to get the bigger house, the bigger car, the more paying job, the better vacations, the nicer clothes, yada, 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 up the script, up, up the food chain here. Whereas in other areas that are, uh, economically depressed or third world countries, when they read things, they're not expecting this. This is a different part and aspect. So when we come together and we read the word of God together, we all bring all these different lenses together and it shapes a more rounded interpretation of the word of god now here's the point now just in case you're wondering and i'm just taking this as a teaching moment for a second i'm not suggesting we all come together put our thinking hats on and okay what is the way we can be saved no the bible is very clear in some areas but there's a lot of scripture that's left up to interpretation how do i know the difference now I'm, i'm off for a second but these are important points how do I know the difference between something that's interpretory and something that is definitive and doctrinal base? And years ago, I was struggling with this point in my own spiritual journey because I was struggling with, okay, how do I know what's truth, what is absolutely definitive and what's left up to interpretation that you and I may see differently. I mean, the Bible talks about it in the New Testament. The New Testament church had some different interpretations. Some ate meat offered to idols. Others said, no, you can't eat meat offered to idols. That's bad. And Paul was talking about this and basically said, if one brother has an interpretation and another brother has an interpretation, they need to learn to work together and live in in harmony together. He didn't say, you're wrong, you're right, you need to change it. Now, that doesn't mean that all scripture should be that way. For example, there's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. The name of Jesus is the name by which we are saved. That's not interpretation. That is doctrine. That is, that is signed, sealed, delivered. We don't come together and say, well, I like the name Jesus. Well, I like the name Paul. I like the name Peter. I like the name John. I like the name Cephas. No. The name of salvation is the name of Jesus. Now, how do we determine the difference? Very simply, the Lord began to deal with me and show me this from my own spiritual journey. The difference comes from the principle that was introduced to us in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So, what do we mean by that? Meaning, for something to, 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 to elevate above the level of interpretation into the level of doctrine where there is no there's no more gray area it's black or white oh, there's some gray in the bible there's, there's quite a bit of gray in the bible there's a lot of gray in the bible in fact but there's some things in the bible that are black and white just hard stop right along the line dead straight black and white how do we know the difference? The difference comes down to the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. There are some things in scripture, New Testament, Old Testament, that are only established one time. Or only spoken about one time. And so those verses, I feel like, are the ones that live in the gray. And we all may see them a little differently. And God may challenge us to live those verses out a little differently. But when we elevate a scripture into multiple witnesses, and some scripture don't have two or three, they have 30 or 40 witnesses, these verses are not interpretory any longer. These are black and white. For example, the salvation in the name of Jesus, right? We don't have just one references to that. We don't have one single verse to that. There are literally dozens of verses about salvation through the name of Jesus Christ. I'll give you two examples this. Jesus, at the end of his uh, life, he's already b- died. He has been resurrected. He's about to ascend into heaven, but he's in that stage at forty days. He's living between his resurrection and his ascension. That forty-day period, he appears to his disciples in Luke chapter twenty-four, and Jesus, and this is here's where this is where it gets cool. Jesus. Used this method. This is where it came, where God really showed me this. And I'm like, Oh man, this was exciting because I want to be like Jesus and follow his footsteps. So this is how Jesus interpreted scripture. Jesus in Luke 24 gave us this principle of interpretation because he said to the apostles, he said, you've heard of me in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Jesus gave three different witnesses in Scripture because the Old Testament was divided up between the law, which is the first five books, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the division of the Old Testament. So he said, these three sections all witness who I am. Now, this is where it gets cool. Let me see if I can pull this up in Scripture here for a moment because I just came across this a few Weeks ago, and when I came across, I've never seen before, and I almost jumped out of my skin. Um, Let me see if I can find it here uh, in in scripture. Just give me one second here. This is why I do like teaching in front of a computer. It really allows me to be able to do some quick scripture referencing. Let's uh, mm, see. um. Here we go. Matthew 17. This is cool. Matthew 17. This is the mount of transfiguration. This is the story in which Jesus takes Peter, James and John up to the mountain. And there's this amazing thing that happened that Moses and Elijah appear. Jesus is standing there. And those three guys have their heads blown. I mean, these guys are like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And in this instance where they're being appeared, you know, they just get all, they get all just fired up. Peter says, hey, look, man, it's. It's great for us to be here. Let's build some let's build some hat. tabernacles here, and this is going to be the place. And and and, and we, we Jesus kind of curtailed that quickly. But watch what happens. We'll pick up reading. This is Matthew 17 verse number 5. While he was still speaking, behold a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased; hear him." Now, that's awesome, and it sounds, if you read it, it sounds very much like the saying in the voice that was given to Jesus at the baptism. Very similar. However, if you break this down, there's actually three different phrases here. This is my beloved son, comma, in whom I am well pleased, period, hear him. Now this is where it gets cool. If you start to go to the origin of all three of those sayings, all three of those phrases, This is my beloved son, comma whom I will, please, period hear him. all three of those are referencing different witnesses in the old testament i, I want to i 'm not going to give away a total punchline because I want to teach this one day. This is amazing. These are not just simple words pulled out of the sky by God to use, but he is giving three witnesses in this phrase to Old Testament scripture to verify that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And this happened in Matthew 17. Jesus did the same thing in Luke 24. So that's how we get into proper interpretation. The reason I say that is this, is that when we come together, the one another aspect of this is, dynamic. This is why God is wanting us to be the body of Christ, not the individuals of Christ, but the body of Christ. So we're getting there. So we talked about one another. Then we came back the week after that, or two weeks after that, and we talked about we are 206 bones, 360 joints. That bones without joints are worthless. And we talked about the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse number 16, it gives us the purpose of all this when it says in verse number 16 from the whole body, not the part of the body, the whole body, W-H-O-L-E. The whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does it share causes growth in the body. For the edifying of itself in love. So meaning every part of the body matters. You matter. I matter. We're working together. And sometimes we work together by joining together in those joints. If you just have a bone but you don't have a joint. Only bone. This bone and this bone are really of no use. And you have a hand here that functions, right? But this hand relies on this bone and this bone. But it also functions because they have joints. Part of what God's doing here in the Antioch West is is that uh, we are all working together in different joints to bring about the full picture of the body of Christ. So I would encourage you, if you haven't, go back and read both of those because, I mean, not read both, but watch both of those because they're important. Now, let's get into today's teaching for a few moments here today because this is awesome and exciting and it brings the full picture. The New Testament church went from a handful of people, uh, starting with the seed of 120, so 120 people beginning the New Testament church. Now this church exploded, and in just a really small uh, uh, span of time, just several decades, became a, a worldwide phenomenon. And what I mean by that, I mean the known world. Uh, that it became a worldwide phenomenon to the point where it was said of those who were a part of the church are these that have turned the world upside down. That this little, small, grassroots group of 120 who um, were initially empowered by the Holy Ghost in the upper room in Jerusalem um, were a part of a movement that reached to the height of the Roman Empire. In fact, it got to the point where the Roman Empire considered Christianity one of its greatest threats. Now think about that. That's amazing. And this was all done during a period of time of great economic and political oppression to Christians. It was, I tell people all the time, you know, we think, oh, it's so difficult being a Christian today. Everyone's against us. Man, we have a, we really have a cushioned life in this country when it comes to Christianity. Because yes, there are a lot of idea ideologies out there uh, that is that our world is is promoting from social media to the news. There's a lot of ideologies that are contrary to what we believe the Word of God teaches. However. That's a small, small, small amount of persecution compared to the, what the New Testament church faced or better yet, what churches in around the world are facing today in China and Iran and other places like that where being a Christian is illegal. And what's amazing about this is that if you take the New Testament church of 120 and it expands. They had two enemies because not only did they have Rome who believed Rome, who treated Christianity as a as a, a an illegal activity punishable by death, but then you also had the uh, persecution by uh, by the Jewish uh, contingent because the Jewish contingent was losing Jews to this new found Christ, and also, uh, in fact, another way Christianity was messing up their deal with the Romans, and so we have uh, characters like Paul. Uh, before he was saved on the road to Damascus, who were persecuting the church greatly. And when we say persecuting the church, we're not talking about he was just standing out there heckling them. I mean, he was actively pursuing them, arresting them and having them thrown in prison and in some cases having them killed. Now today, we're going to meet in small groups. Next week, we're going to meet together in multiple locations. We met together last week. I said this actually last week. There was no threat last week. Now, I do know we live in a world... That has gotten crazier. But in reality, take that part to the side. We weren't threatened last week with the potential of someone coming in and shutting us down because of illegal activity. Now, are, are we going to get there one day? I can see it now more than I ever have seen it before. Now, will it happen? I don't know. I mean, we saw how quickly in COVID one stroke of a governor or presidential pen can really change our life quickly but so we look at this new testament church and we see what they did and and i gotta be frank with you and this is not to be a negative uh but it's just talking facts if we look what the new testament new testament church did in a very short period of time how they were so dynamic and changing the world but then you look at the church today and i have to be honest The world is having a greater influence on the church than the church is having on the world. This is just flat out facts. If you look at the statistics, our world is becoming more secular. If you look at the the statistics, the 30 and under age bracket has more atheists in it than any generation that we have known. Why? Because the church has traded its power, its might, its dominion for a social club or a religious entity. Now, this is not a condemning aspect of the church at all. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Ultimately, because I don't believe any one individual chose to do this. I believe this was an ultimate plan of Satan that began... Way back in 300 AD, when uh, Constantine um, uh, uh, basically sabotaged the church, took it over and made it into a state religion of Rome, and eventually that entity uh, gave way to uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and eventually that expanded, and now here we are today, and religion trumps relationship power has been substituted for 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 repetition you come you do the same things you go home dynamic life-changing transforming has been turned into simple just pop psychology god just wants to help you be a better person or god just wants to help you be blessed and the whole transformation, the power, the dynamic, the the life-changing aspect of the power of God and what the church is to be has been stripped away. Now, God is trying to find a group of people. I believe, Antioch West, for those of you that are watching today, I believe that we are a part of that. I believe God is looking for and is positioning a group because, okay, let, let's look at this for a second. He said, uh, the... Joel chapter 2 said in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh that the that the latter rain will be greater than the than the than the early rain now if we look at the magnitude of the early rain uh it changed the world so if the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain then this is going to be absolutely amazing however the patterns and the principles that God used to bring the early rain are going to be the pattern and principles he used to bring the latter rain. God does not change. He hasn't changed methods. Now you say, well, the world's changed. Absolutely, but God hasn't changed. The message may change, The delivery may change, but the message stays the same. For example, I'm talking to you today on YouTube and Facebook. Some of you are watching me today on your phone. Some of you are watching today on your screen in your living room. Some of you may be watching on your computer. Some may be actually just listening to me. The delivery has changed, but the message is the same. Follow what I'm saying here for a moment. Now, if we're going to be a part of the latter rain... I believe God is trying to bring the church, or those who will be a part of the church, uh, the the this this aspect of the church. He's trying to bring the church back to the original blueprint He laid out. The apostles followed Jesus's blueprint. He gave them how to do this. So when we watch how to do it, it wasn't Peter, James, and John's idea or Paul's idea that the New Testament church followed. They were following the pattern given to us by Jesus. So Jesus doesn't change. His pattern and principles don't change. So what does that mean? That means for us to truly be the church, for us to truly find the dynamic power that the early church has we've got to go back to the original that's what God is doing in Antioch West so if you're part of Antioch West God's stripping us away God's stripping away a lot of stuff in us so that he can restore the New Testament church in Antioch West I believe that I can't speak for anybody else that's not my point I don't pastor or lead any other church so you say why are other churches doing this can't answer that well, are they? A, are you saying they're a part of the church or not? I'm not answering that question because I don't know. I'm not the judge. I'm not God. I'm not the author and the finisher of the faith. I can only speak for what part God has for you and I. And I'm saying God has been stripping us away to position us to be a part of the New Testament church in the 21st century. Started with COVID. Actually, the seed of it began in 2017, and it was accelerated with COVID. And so here we are today. We're not done yet, though. God's continuing to add to that. So let's go to this for a second. Now, we know in Acts chapter 2, we know that this was the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost uh, on the day of Pentecost. We're going to read that just for a moment uh, because it's good just to remind us when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and they came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. This is Acts chapter 2, by the way, we're in verse 2 and it filled the house where they were sitting there appeared to them clothing tongues like a fire set upon each of them and they were all 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 not some not a few not most they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues who spoke in tongues all of them did what were they filled with the Holy Spirit why is that important because the Spirit was giving them utterance. This was in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, that said the Spirit is going to blow. You're not going to know where it comes from. You're not going to know where it's, come, where it's going, but it's going to produce a sound. And that word sound there is phoneo, which is phonics. It's going to produce... It's going to produce syllables, languages, when the Spirit blows, and then he gives the final piece of that. He said, everyone that's born of the Spirit is going to have this experience. So you say, well, if I haven't had that experience, does that mean I'm born of the Spirit? I didn't say that. Jesus is saying that. How do I know I've been born of the Spirit? Because I've had this experience. Now you say, well, I don't. I believe that's for some, but not for everybody. Well, there was 120 in the upper room. All 120 did it. Oh, and 20 experienced it. And I come to find it's unique. Here's the thing about that argument. I, I got to stop for a moment because this is the thing. I, I just, this is a, this is maybe a Joel tangent, not a Jesus tangent, but I just got to get this off my chest. Here's the fallacy of that argument. Cause I've, I've heard people say, well, it's not, everybody doesn't have to have it. You know, it's for some, I, I don't believe that's, that's scriptural, but let's go with that for a moment. You know the crazy fallacy of that argument is basically you're telling me there's something powerful and life changing that's available to me that God wants to give me, but I'm okay right now. I don't need it. So if that's really what you believe, you believe. Well, if if you if you're believing today that well the Holy Ghost and and speaking in tongues, it's not for everybody. It's just for those who really want to go. You know, it's it's a special gift for those. Well, you just indicted yourself, my friend, because basically you just said, well, God has something special, but I really don't want it. So whether it's for everybody or for those who are hungry and want more of God, if you don't have it, you need to start seeking God to receive it, because both ways you're indicting yourself. It's for, If it's for everybody and you haven't had it, then you're left out and you need to get it because it's a part of the experience that God wants you to have because it gets you into the heaven. Those who are born of the water and the Spirit shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's one aspect of John 3. But if you say, you know, I don't really understand or believe all that. I believe it's just for those who really want or God's going to give more of himself. And don't you want to be that? Do you really want to just say, well, you know, God had so much for me, but I just was, I'm good. I was good. I, I don't really need anymore. I'm, I'm kind of, I got enough of God. I don't know about you. If you really believe you have enough of God uh, and you don't need any more, you really, huh, you really are underestimating God and really proves you're really not hungry. Now, that was a Joel tangent. We're back to where we are. So the day of Pentecost happens, comes down to the inn. They ask Peter and those that are standing there, okay, we love, we, we know what you're saying. This is awesome. How do we experience this? Peter gives them the formula to experience this. He says, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive, you shall receive, you shall receive, you shall receive, you shall receive the gift. I don't know why I'm saying this this morning, but somebody needs to hear this. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, oh well, you could, or a, if your numbers come up tonight in the lottery, you could be the one. The Powerball is seventy-four. Number seventy-four. You just received the Holy Ghost. No, we're not playing the lottery. Peter said, "If you repent and you are baptized in the name of Jesus, it's a guarantee that a part of this package comes—the gift of the Holy Ghost." And what is the gift of the Holy Ghost? We go back to the beginning of Acts. The gift of the Holy Ghost was this power that you received in Acts chapter one, verse eight. We will receive power and authority by God through His Spirit in living in us. And how do we know His Spirit is living in us? Because we received this this sign, this evidence of the utterance of a language coming out of us. It's supernatural. Some of you may go, well, I don't really understand it. It doesn't make sense. You're right, because it's not intellectual. It's supernatural. You receive it supernaturally. It comes by faith. You receive it, it takes place supernaturally. If you're trying to analyze it, figure it out intellectually, give up. So here we go. And let's let's just finish this because it just it just Peter throws it out there and just cranks down and just gives it to, gives the because some people say well that was just for them let's just well let's answer that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you those that are there to your children those that are coming and to all who are afar off as many as our Lord God will call so that took up took care of the crowd there it took care of the future generations, and then it went just throughout eternity to you and I and said, as many as are far off. That wasn't just talking about geography. That was talking about time. As many as the Lord our God will call. I'm still a part of the called. I'm still a part of that calling. As God's calling me, this is what He promised would happen. So if you think that was only for the New Testament early church in the beginning, not for you and I today, then... You're acknowledging you're not called of God. You're not a part of the call. I don't know who you're a part of then. Ooh, I don't know who I'm telling this today. Maybe I'm just reminding some people we what we believe. So you remember we have a we have a foundation that we stand on. It's supernatural, and here we continue. And the with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, "Be saved from this." perverse generation than those who gladly received his word were baptized and that that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued. Here we go. They continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now, who all believed were together and had all things in common, all the possessions and good, divided them among and as they had needed. So, continuing daily, one accord in the temple and breaking bread and house to house, they ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added, whoo, hallelujah, added to the church daily those who would be saved. Now, where did it all start? It started with the experience. But what was the principle that they had? right there acts 242 they continued steadfastly it wasn't a continuation with a potential deviation it was a continued continuation steadfastly it mean they were laser focused on these four things this is what they did if you want to know the secret sauce this was it they focused on four things the doctrine which means the word of God, the study of the word of God, the application of the word of God, not just simply the study of the word of God, but getting the word of God in you and living it out. The words we read, actually I think we read it a couple weeks ago, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said the difference between the wise and the foolish is the wise, the foolish hear the sayings but do nothing, but the wise hear the sayings of Christ and do them. So, when we talk about doctrine, we're not talking about intellectual pursuit where we just get a bunch of knowledge, but we're talking about we receive that knowledge and then we allow the Holy Ghost to lead us and guide us in application of that knowledge in our life. So, they continued steadfastly in doctrine, meaning this study and the application of the word. They continued in fellowship. They continued in breaking bread. And they continued in prayer. This was the secret sauce. Now, this is where it gets cool. And I've gone way too long today, so... We're just going to trust the Lord. We're going to get to the punchline here and make it quick. This word, fellowship. When I say the word fellowship to you, most of the time we think about sitting around and just talking. Well, fellowship. We're having fellowship. What are we doing? We're sitting around talking about You know, hey, the Orioles just won 10 games in a row. They lost one, but they won one last night, man. They've won 11 out of the last 12 games. They went from way back to possibly making the playoffs. That's, well, we're having fellowship. We're hanging out, talking about life, talking about our kids, talking about our job, talking about our interests, talking about whatever, fellowship. That's not what this fellowship is talking about. Because this fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. We could spell it, it, but it's not really just koinonia. This is the word translated fellowship. Now here, there is no exact translation in English for koinonia because it is a Greek word uh, most closely associated with the concept of, uh, of, of holy fellowship. Now here, this is one of the attempts to define it. It is the fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. It is the partnering, the sharing, and the companionship. It is the commute, shared community of deep, close-knit participation. Here's the point. Fellowship is not a surface. Fellowship is when I'm getting deeper in connection with one another whether it's on a personal level or a supernatural level. That's why prayer and breaking of bread came after fellowship, because breaking of bread and prayer are two aspects that help strengthen fellowship. We come together, we sit around, we share a meal. We're going to do it the next week. We're going to come around, we're going to, we're going to share, we're going to talk, we're going to sit around and eat. While we're doing that, we're going to be talking and fellowshipping one another. Prayer. We're praying with one another. We're following the one another. The 59 one another commands in Scripture. One of those is prayer. When we're praying for one another, we're fellowshipping on a supernatural level deep. Now, why is this important? Because the Bible talks about this word koinonia is used numerous times. For example, 1 Corinthians 1, 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom we are called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we talk about fellowship with Christ we're not talking about always oh, sitting around going hey how you doing Jesus good to see you today hey what's up what's hot what's cracking jesus how you doing good to see you today we talk about fellowship we know fellowship with Christ is an intimate pursuit it's 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 putting him above us it's it's desiring to know him to experience him to fellowship with him to love him that same word that describes our vertical relationship is the same word that describes the horizontal relationships that we should have with other believers. Hmm. They had in the New Testament church a supernatural desire for fellowship with one another that mimicked their vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, How can you love? Say you love God who you have seen if you can't love your brother who you haven't seen. That's why the greatest commandment is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, all of the law and prophets hang. Everything hangs on these two commandments. Because the vertical and the horizontal need to mimic one another. You can't have a powerful vertical without also having a powerful horizontal. Because I know a lot of people that say they have a great vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, but their horizontal stinks. I'm someone that's... I'm not... A, if you want relationship advice, I'm probably not the guy you go to. I struggle with those areas. But there's been times in the same area I struggle horizontally, I struggle vertically. And God has worked some things in me vertically and as that happens, I am in, in, improving horizontally so we say 1 Corinthians 1 we have fellowship with, with with Jesus that word fellowship is the same word fellowship koinonia let's go further 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all we fellowship with the Holy Ghost we have the Holy Ghost in us we fellowship with it we're in its presence we love the we love the, the Spirit of God flowing in our life we're in fellowship with the Holy Ghost same word so when they, when, they, when they were part of the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, that word fellowship there was not simply, hey, let's hang out. Let's go further. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, the koinonia of his sufferings. And finally this. Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 14. I speak to you as a wise man. Judge your, for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the, not the communion, not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not the communion of the body of Christ. For we, for we, though many are one, one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Now you say, wait a minute. There was nothing in that. Do you know what the word communion is? Translated? Koinonia. So koinonia was not just simply a word that we translated fellowship, but that's a terrible translation of that word. It is this deep connection and communion with one another. So when we come together and we have communion on our missional Sunday, we are participating in biblical koinonia. Now, why is that important? Because there is no fellowship without action. Fellowship requires action. Faith requires action, right? The Bible says faith without works is dead. Fellowship requires action. Now, this is where it gets cool. Give me 10 minutes. You ready? Let's get on this. We're going to have a 10-minute final finale like a firework show. We've shot off some fireworks here. You've ooed and you've odd. Now we're just going to light the fuse and we're going to send about 5,000 fireworks in the air. You ready? Buckle up. First John 1 verse number 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in whom there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word not In us, first John two, verse one. We're going to the next chapters, continuing. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the perpetuation of our sins for not, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now this is cool. You ready? This is why coming together and fellowshipping is not just simply about hanging out with some other people and just, okay, we did it for an hour, but it's something supernatural, transforming, that if the church would get a hold of the true power and revelation of koinonia, it is absolutely, an absolute, Powerful life-changing experience when you step into fellowship with understanding that it is a supernatural thing, not just a hanging out with other people and shooting the breeze, but something transforming. Because here's what happens. We just read it in verse number seven of first John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Koinonia one with another. We communion, connection, deep prayer. Caring for one another. We're fulfilling the 59 one another commands. That's koinonia. 59 one another commands are a part of the koinonia experience. Part of that is communion. When we're actively, again, there is no fellowship without action. That's what the Lord gave me. Put that in your notes. There is no fellowship without action. What do I mean by that? You can't say you have fellowship if you're not actively trying to pursue and involve yourself in the 59 commands given to us about one another. These are the things that God leads us and guides us in praying one another, exhorting one another, caring for one another, uh, loving one another, all these one another's. Now, here's the cool part about it. If we have koinonia with one another, we're following and desiring to uh, p- uh, to put these 59 commands in action. And we're in communion with one another. Here's what happens. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ is sin, Clean- a son cleanses us from all sin. Now, I know you didn't hear what I just said, but I'm about to show you something that if you would just get this revelation, it's going to change your whole viewpoint of when we come together. It's, you're, you're going to go, you know what? I don't care what I got to do. I can't miss coming together because something happens when we come together. Now, watch this. Your blood in your body fully circulates about every 45 to 60 seconds. Meaning your blood can, can fully circulates your entire body your heart beats about 100,000 times a day to make this happen now get this leviticus 17:11 says without shedding blood there's no forgiveness of sins we know that life is in for the for the oh, let's, let's just let's just read it first uh, leviticus 17:11 for the life of the flesh is in the blood and i have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul so we know two things in that scripture number 1 life is in the blood and number two, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. These are the two things established there in Leviticus 17, 11. Now, why is this important? Because here's this. Can you have life without blood? Can you be saved without blood? No. Baptism washes us and cleanses us of our past. But what does baptism truly do? Mm. Baptism gives us access To the blood of Jesus Christ How? Because baptism gives us access Into the body As many of us have, have, Have been brought into Christ We are brought into Christ Through baptism Baptism is not just a ceremony But it is if we put on Christ and or are, are brought into Christ well guess what if we 're brought into Christ through baptism the church is the body of Christ so therefore baptism brings us into the body it brings us into the connection with the body without baptism we cannot truly have supernatural connection with the body why is that important because the body is where the blood flows my blood is flowing right now in my body it 's not flowing it 's not It's not flowing over here and over here. It's flowing here in my body. Why is this important? Here we go. Ready? Koinonia is the body in action. It's where the 206 bones, the 360 joints of the body are all walking together in harmony. And so if you ever seen an athlete that was on the other day, World Track and Field Championships. And I don't know what race it was. It was one of the sprints. And if you ever watch the sprints, I'll never forget one of the most amazing things is to watch Usain Bolt run. That was, uh, I mean, I know some of you think it's kind of crazy to describe a human being running like this. But to watch Usain Bolt run was, was just a thing of beauty. Because here is a man that every single part of his body from his head to his toe was working in such beautiful harmony that he could run at such a high level. What was amazing to watch him run is it didn't look like he was actually running with great effort, but his body was so beautifully working together, and you watch it, and you it was funny. You ever try to run with your arms stiff? It feels awkward. Even though your arms aren't doing anything to help propel your lower body, the motion of your arms when you're running, And they talk about when they, when you, when you break down sprinting, I'm not a sprinter, but I've watched some videos. They talk about technique. They go to your head position, your chest position, your arms, how you move your arms, your, your, your legs down to your feet, down to your toes. All of this is working to optimize your performance. This is a body working in beautiful harmony. It's not, Hey, everybody's doing good, but my right arm ain't just, my right arm just doesn't want to do anything today. Guess what? You're not going to run as fast. If both arms decide, or guess what? If your head decides, you know what? I don't really want to run today. I'm just going to hang over here. And so you're running, but your head decides, you know what? I don't feel like doing it today. Or guess what? Your hip or your knee, whatever. When your body works in full connection, in koinonia, incomplete 206 bones 360 joints it optimizes your performance because if you've ever had any kind of problem in your body from your little toe to the top of your head one small hiccup in your body can can reduce the performance of your body drastically if you've ever broken a little toe you know what i'm talking about if you've ever had i mean you ever heard a nail a fingernail it changes everything Years ago I had, uh, I remember I, was, I got, for some reason I was having, my, my finger was sore. I don't know why, man. It was just annoying. Everything was just, it just hurt. I got to look and realize I had a splinter that had gotten in there. It was very small and it was causing my entire finger to be uh, infected. And everything was starting to hurt. Or years ago I had a tooth that went bad. Tooth was like that big, small little tooth. Tell you right now, that shut everything down. My legs, my feet, everything was still working. But that tooth knocked everything out. So here's what happens. Baptism brings us into fellowship. So body is functioning fully in koinonia. The blood is pumping. But what's happening when the blood is pumping? It's actively moving in our lives to forgive us of all sins. Notice, there's two references there to to sin being forgiven. One is fellowship with the body, and the other is through confess. He said, if you've confessed your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What's the difference? Are we to confess? Are we to be in fellowship? Both. Here's why. Can I ask you a question? I asked this to the group last month, but I'll ask you today. In the last week, let's just use the last week. Have you sinned? Think long and hard before you answer that question, because we just read it. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. So you really only have one answer. Have you sinned in the last week? Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I really ask you to think hard, you probably can remember most of what you've done the last seven days. But let's be honest, there are probably a few days in there things are a little fuzzy. You don't remember exactly everything you did. So there's two types of sin, There's sins of omission and sins of commission. What I mean by that, the sins of commission are the sins of action. Things we did, we weren't supposed to do. They weren't pleasing to God. They weren't in alignment with His will for our life. They were our own will. We're running our own life. They may have been direct sin, but not sin as far as we often think of sin only in our moral code of, well, it's morally, it was moral. We didn't, we didn't, you know, smoke, drink, chew, hang out with those who do. You know, so we're good. No, sin is when we miss the mark, meaning when we are not in alignment with God's will. So it might not feel like sin, but you might have gone um, to uh, a store out of the will of God because you were running your own life. You didn't ask God what to do. And because of that, that's considered missing the mark. So there's sins of commission with the sins of action. But there's another side of sin. The sins of omission. These are the things we didn't do. Because if we looked at the last seven days and ask you, did you sin? Most of us are going to go to, well, okay, what did I say? What did I do? What did I watch? What did I think? Oh, pretty good up there. I didn't really. That's how we'll think about it. But let's go. The sins of omission. The things we didn't do. Reading our Bible. Praying. Spending time with God. Doing his will. Acting when he says Act. Not listening to his voice, not hearing his voice, omitting him out of our life. Both are sin. Now, let's be honest. I can't tell you every sin I've committed the last seven days. But there are some things I remember I did. These are the things I know I did. I know, I know them. These are sins of confession. These are the things I know. There, the, because either, either when I did them the Holy Ghost pricked my heart with conviction or looking back on those things and asking God to reveal my heart he'll remind me hey remember you said that remember you did that remember you didn't do this okay Father I confess my sins to you right now I ask you to forgive me that's com- confession but there are sins that we do we don't even realize we're doing and we don't remember them oh no what do we do? How can we get forgiven of things we don't even realize we were doing? Because whether you knew you knew you were doing them or not, it's still sin. And even if you can't remember doing them, it doesn't make... Well, okay, you're going to go to heaven only on the things you remember. No, it doesn't work that way. That's why I believe in the great throne of judgment, God's going to have a giant big screen there because you're going to go, remember back when you're going to... I don't remember doing that. He's going to let me roll the tape. Oh, yeah, ooh. I don't remember doing that, but obviously I did because I can see it right there on the screen. So there's sins we do, we know we do, and there's things we do, we don't know we do. So we confess the ones we know. But what about the ones we don't know? Well, he has a plan to take care of that. He says, if we have koinonia with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ is working to cleanse us of all sin. Now think about that. In just a few minutes, you're going to go to a small group today. Just a few minutes, we're going to have small group here today. And in that process of small group, if you're going there, not to fulfill a religious obligation, well, small group, I'll just go. But you're going there because you are you want to be a part of the body of Christ. You're going there because you want to be a part of one another. So you're going there. And today, in small group, you might fulfill one of the 59 commands. You might love one another, devote to one another, honor one another, build up one another, accept one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another, forgive one another, be patient one another, speak the truth one another, be kind and compassionate with one another submit to one another consider others look to the interests of others bear one another teach one another comfort one another encourage one another it keeps going it keeps going but you go today and you participate in faith because of your vertical relationship it's being manifested in your horizontal relationship and you go and you're connecting with one another guess what's happening while you're doing that the blood of Jesus Christ is is, is cleansing you you're going to walk out of there today when you're done small group you're going to walk out of there forgiven I didn't ask God to forgive me of anything. No, because there's some things you didn't know you did. But while you're in fellowship with your brother or sister, the blood of Jesus Christ is pumping in the body. And we are a part of the body. And we're connected to the body. So when we come together a part of the body, not just to go through religious activity, because let's be frank, for years in a larger gathering, you can come in it right when it starts and leave right when it ends and not shake anybody's hands. That's not koinonia. Koinonia is when you actively pursue one another and you have action There is no fellowship without action. It's not just simply coming in, sneaking in the back, leaving when it's over with, and I said at koinonia. No, that's not koinonia. That's obligation. But when you're actively pursuing this desire for one another, actively pursuing fellowship with one another, being a part of the body of Christ, that when you go today, you're excited, because you know I get to be a part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. When you leave there today, you're going to leave there with the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing you. Man, that's exciting. That should make you want to go, Hey, I got to go get dressed right now because I'm not missing out on my chance to be a part of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me of all my sin. And not only that, not only that, not only that, here's the thing I've, I've heard people say. What if I've just lived for God my entire life and then I sin and then the next moment the rapture comes? Am I going to hell? Because I sinned and then Jesus came back the next day. I have a good question for you. Are you in Koinonia? Because according to Jesus and the Word of God and John, if I'm in koinonia, I'm actively a part of the body of Christ, and I'm in action with the body of Christ, and I'm in that part, not just Sunday, but I'm actively living in a relationship with the body of Christ in a vertical and horizontal relationship that God is constantly cleansing me. So if I do sin and immediately the rapture comes back, according to the Word of God, if I'm a part of the body... The body is producing blood in me that's cleansing me. This is why the devil works so hard to separate you from the body. That's why he tries to bring the, a, a fence between you and your brother, or your sister. That's why he tries to get you separated and distracted and go over here and do that. Well, it's not that big of a deal if you go today. Well, that's not just you're not going to miss out on anything if you miss out today. He knows the power that happens when we come together in fellowship and koinonia together. He knows what happens when we come and we have communion together and we come together in intimacy and fellowship and we do the 59 one another commands he knows what's happening because there's something supernatural that takes place that he can't stop because he's already been defeated by the blood of Jesus once and he can't stop the blood so if the devil's working at you trying to separate you from the body or if you feel like you're being separated from well I don't know if anyone loves me I don't know if anybody cares I don't know if I really fit anymore I just want to stay home and I'll be my own church at home you've just removed yourself from the blood I'll just be my own body here. No, it doesn't work that way. Because you can't have one another with yourself. And your spouse don't count either. Because you don't really know, love somebody until you're challenged to go beyond yourself with that person. This is the power. And another thing, here's the awesome thing. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I believe God is a God of miracles. But just funny. You ever woke up one morning, just something in your body just hurts, just aches. It doesn't feel good. I mean, your body just something hurts. But as you go throughout the day, that pain goes away. Why? Because there's things in your body that are working to address the pain, the hurt, the injury. That your body is constantly. My dad has a torn rotator cuff and a torn labrum in his shoulder. And he had this procedure done where they inject certain aspects of your body. I don't know all the technical detail, bone marrow and some other stuff. They mixed it together and they inject into the, into the injury to produce the natural healing process of the body. Because the body desires to heal itself without surgery. So he got these injections that are injecting him with the body's his own body, not with somebody else like cadaver. They took it out of his body and placed it into the injury to speed up the natural body healing. And so he's about eight weeks into it. He had a torn rotator cuff and a torn labrum. And now he's moving with full mobility in that arm that he couldn't even move an inch before because the body's healing itself. So if you have hurt and difficulty and pain in your body, today i believe if you go get in koinonia with one another that while you're there not only are there is going to be sin being forgiven but there's going to be some supernatural healing that's taking place it may not happen overnight it may not happen over a period of time but when we come together healing and transformation is taking place because wherever the blood is there's power to heal there's power to forgive there's power to deliver by the blood of jesus christ by his stripes we are healed Because we are in koinonia with the body. Now you mean to tell me why the devil fights us from coming together. The devil would love for you to stay home today. The devil would love for you not to be in fellowship with the body. The devil. And here's the beauty. So well, if that's the case, why aren't we meeting in a building today? We should be together. Because you know what? You can't really have true koinonia in a church service. Can't have it. Church services are not designed for koinonia. Church services are designed for equipping. They're equipping times. That's what koinonia that's what church true biblical gather, church gatherings are equipping. But you see they went from house to house prayer and breaking bread together house to house because that's where koinonia truly happens is in the function of our of, uh, of in the folds of our life going to one another's home today, fellowshipping one another, sitting on a couch or sitting in chairs having to talk, not getting there right, before, right when it starts and leaving as soon as it's over with. You're not in koinonia. You're an obligation. But if you would take this, this is going to transform Antioch West. We're, if we get this revelation, we're going to be so passionate about one another There's not going to be one person that's not going to want to be a part of it. Because we talked about in the beginning of this series that the church is supposed to be a place of supernatural love, supernatural fellowship. When the world sees us, they should go, wow, this this is amazing. Because Jesus said, if we do like everybody else, he said the tax collectors love those who are like them. But we're not supposed to be like the tax collectors. We're supposed to be the church, the body of Christ, in koinonia. So guess what? We're going to have koinonia today and then next Sunday we're coming together in a missional Sunday we're going to have some more koinonia. And transformation and forgiveness and healing is all going to take place as we fellowship one with another. Father, I have spoken as you have given me these words. I put all this in your hands. I bind every spirit of religious tradition that is trying to war against this word today. I curse it in Jesus' name. I speak the truth and the revelation of your word today. In Jesus' name, Father, I speak it. Let us be transformed by your word. Let us be transformed by the power of your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we speak these things today in Jesus' name. And Lord, give us the true revelation of koinonia, fellowship with one another, that we can be transformed and a part of the transformation process in our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name. I know I went a little long today. I don't apologize for that. I was obeying the Lord. But if you are, if if you didn't get it the first time, I'm encouraging you. you Got to go back and do this again. Talk about it. Go to group today and share. This is, this is a. This is the cornerstone, if I could call it this. The Bible says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. This is the cornerstone of the of the vision God's given Antioch West. If we don't get this, we're never going to understand why God's doing what He's doing. If i got to come back and teach this 15 more times, I'm going to do it until I know in my spirit we're getting this revelation, because this is something we've got to receive to go forward. So if you've got to go back and watch it again, share it, talk about it today with one another, this is our cornerstone for the foundation of the vision God's given us. So let's participate today in koinonia, and let's receive the revelation of what that is in Jesus.